Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. My dearest friend from over in New York, it's Fred Katz, The Athletic's new B-writer for the New York Knicks. How great is that, Fred? You get to... You get to move to your dear sweet home because you are always a New Yorker at heart. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going great. It's uh, it's very exciting. I had all of six minutes to prepare for uh, for this. The season's starting up so soon. Uh, it's it's very exciting stuff. I'm really you know I, I was in D.C. for three years doing the Wizards and I did the Thunder before that and uh, it's just very exciting to be able to uh, you know start on a new thing now. It's just the best, isn't it? Like, I can't imagine living somewhere like, look, I'm sure you were happy in Washington, but like also now you get to live at home. Like, that's the best. You get to go home where like you you really are like a New Yorker. Like, I don't know if people know that about you, but like you, you do love the city of New York and now you get to live there again. It's great. It is great. It's it's wonderful. My family's very excited, and yes, I do love New York. I've always loved New York. I'm from New York. Grew up in New York, and it is uh, you know going to OKC to cover the Thunder was was awesome, and going to Boston to cover the Celtics was very brief, but was awesome while it was brief. And going to DC to cover the Wizards was great too. And uh, it'll be very, it's very exciting to be home. I'm very I'm very happy with it, and the job's going to be awesome. And and guess what? The Knicks are. Knicks are pretty good. So I, I get to cover a pretty good Knicks team, which might not have been the case the last few years. It is so funny because like I went out and met like a few friends at the park yesterday and a few of them are Knicks fans and they were just like, yeah, this feels like great. This is like they're actually in good shape. Like it feels like they are in a competent position right now. This is amazing. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think you're right. Like the Knicks are in a pretty good spot, aren't they? It's amazing. <laughs> like I didn't I didn't have any for the first time in a while it was like, oh wait, the Knicks like have good management. They have a good they're in a good position. Like all of it's very positive. There there's Go, go Knicks! Like this, this is where we're at here. Yeah, they they actually have a rotation that's pretty much filled with helpful NBA players. You mm-hmm. know, the the problem with the Knicks so often was that like you look at the back end of their rotation, it was just it was just they were just rotating in guys that were not going to help you win. And now it's like, all right, they bring in you know they lose Bullock, but they bring in Kemba, they bring in Fournier, they. They bring back a bunch of the other rotation guys that that help them kind of stay competent throughout last season. Tibbs teams are always going to play hard. They're always going to play defense. I I don't count Minnesota. That just, I think we can see over the last 24 hours. Minnesota on the resume doesn't count. I mean, what Uh, a a fucking shit show that is. I mean, I know. Like I know, uh, but those teams are going to play hard. They're going to play defense. They were a top five defense last year. Uh, apparently, Mitchell Robinson. If you read Nick's Reddit, Mitch, Mitchell Robinson uh, apparently is now. I don't know. He, is he is he Aquaman? Is he who's who, is he Superman? I don't know who's who's like the the ripped superhero who we have to say that he is. He's someone. He he got ripped. He, he's like prime Knicks media day muscle watch material. Uh, so, you know, I think, uh, I think the vibes are probably pretty positive going into this year. And, you know, even last year they end up as the four seed, but it's not like people 
expected that going into last year. I have to imagine that the vibes going into this start of this Knicks season are better than they've been since like 2013 after they won, had that 54 win season. Yeah, really. It's like, I feel like they're, even if the Knicks like don't win more games than they did last year, it feels like even if they're just steady again, that will be a win, right? Because it'll be, the same like actual repeated season like it'll be consolidating i guess is the word like they'll be consolidating real progress and i feel like more than anything that's what the knicks need in order to get free agents right like they just need to prove that they're actually in a good space they're actually fine right like they're not gonna just fall off of a cliff and i don't think they are like i think that they're in a very good position and they still have a lot of flexibility long term. They have good young players. They they've done well. The, like the Knicks drafted competently this year. Like I thought they got like three guys in my top forty that I think think all have potential to be like real rotation players long term. Just a, a real, really solid off season. They get Julius Randle to resign long term. The whole thing just made sense to me. Everything that they've done over the last year like actually makes sense to me in a real way. Yeah, I mean there are a couple of contracts. I'm I'm not huge on on paying centers the mid level or more. Like elite centers, obviously that's a different conversation. But kind of Nerlens Noel types that. But that's that's a miniature. That's a miniature knock. You know, they. It's not exactly like that's the type of contract that's going to absolutely kill you. It's just like you can get away with it if it's a miss, and if it's a hit, then. Then it's a hit. You're in good shape. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm bringing bringing Kemba on good value. He was hurt last year, but uh, you know if he can if he can be eighty five percent of previous Kemba for mid level money, I mean that's 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 really good value for you as well. So yeah, I mean it makes it makes sense. There's a world too where they're better this year, but their winning percentage is worse because there are a lot yeah. of teams, and I know we're going to talk about this. There are a lot of teams in the East that I think are better than they were last year. Yeah, totally. I. 100% agree with that. Like, I think there is actually a pretty real chance that that happens. But let's kind of actually get into what we want to talk about on this podcast, which is we're doing a contenders and pretenders podcast, but we're going to do it in a little bit of an off center way. So, the way I did it was I grouped these Eastern Conference teams into four groups instead of just like purely contenders versus pretenders, right? Um, because success is not always just simple like that it's not always based on one you know outcome success for the magic this year is going to be drastically different than success for the 76ers right so in this episode we're going to discuss like the pure rebuilding pretenders we're going to discuss the play-in contenders the playoff contenders where you're a top six seed and you're actually just straight up in the playoffs. And then we're going to talk about the actual NBA title contenders. So we've got three teams in that bottom kind of rung. We've got three teams in that, you know, third rung. We've actually got like a really robust six team, like kind of middle ground of playoff contenders where I think that those battles in the Eastern conference are going to be fascinating this year. And then we've got three teams at the top that I think are like very real NBA title contenders. So let's just kind of dive in. We're going to go through the bottom 
to, I think, a little bit more quickly, if only because this Eastern Conference is now there's actually like a middle class in this Eastern Conference in a way that it feels like there hasn't been in a while, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, there's I think you can extend the middle class basically from the four seed or even the three seed all the way down to like 12. There's basically a bottom three in the East, which I'm sure we'll touch on. And I think you can climb it all the way up to three because I don't know if they're beyond Brooklyn and Milwaukee. I don't know if there's a consensus number three team. It should be Philadelphia, but it's not for obvious reasons, because if Ben Simmons is not physically there, then they're not the sure number three. Uh, and if they trade them, we don't know what the heck they're going to get back for them. So I think you could put Miami in that spot. I think you could argue you could put Atlanta in that spot. Uh, I think there are a couple other teams that if you really want to get bold, you could throw them in there. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's really really tough to to figure out exactly who is what the ordering is going to be and and who's going to be there and there could be a team that I think is going to end up being six and they end up missing the play in tournament I just there's yep. there's a lot of there's a lot of room for this to move around so in that bottom rung I have the Pistons the Magic and the Cavs as just the guy, the teams that are they're not in a space to contend even for a play-in berth right now, in my opinion. The Cavaliers' defense is just not good enough, and they don't have really any wings that I feel amazing about, barring a leap from Isaac Okoro, which could happen. Like, second-year player taking a real leap. Those things happen. I really like Darius Garland. I am, I think, higher on Colin Sexton is a general player than where the consensus is. I have said many times on the show that I do not like that combination in the backcourt because I just don't think that you can build a remotely reasonable perimeter defensive duo around Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Um, They have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, which is another overlapping set of teammates uh, that... Look, I just don't know how you get the requisite floor spacing you need when Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are playing, just given where Evan is as a shooter right now. Uh, you're going to have Kevin Love and Lowry in, but like, I'm like honestly trying to determine, is there a world where they play Lowry Markkinen like at the three at times this year? And that seems like a disaster waiting to happen, right? They might have to play those super huge lineups with Mobley and Allen and Markkinen. Like, you're just going to have to find ways to wedge your best players onto the floor if you're them. So yeah. yeah, that that could happen. I don't think they'll start like that. But I could I could see them playing those guys together with Sexton and Garland. Uh you know, depending on how Mobley and Allen work together, I think the ideal scenario for Cleveland, not Cleveland being good, but at least just Cleveland being better than we think they're gonna be, the ideal scenario is that Allen and Mobley are able to clean up the mistakes that the guys at the top of the defense are going to make. And that defense, instead of being the bottom three, like we're used to seeing it, now it's like 20th. But I don't really have faith in a rookie being good enough on defense to be able to capitalize like that. And uh, while I like Jared Allen, I think there are very few centers who are that good to be able to clean up that kind of penetration they're going to be giving up at the top of the defense, especially with the lack of wings that they have. 
Like, he's just never been that guy. Like, you can actually kind of get him out of position pretty easily defensively, I think. Like, he's shown that over the course of his career because he goes for blocks. He's good when he meets you at the rim, but he's got to meet you at the rim. Right, totally. Um, On top of that, like, Jared Allen's teams have generally rebounded worse defensively when he's on the court. Evan Mobley was not a great defensive rebounder last year at USC. Uh, Lowry Markinen is not like an awesome defensive rebounder. Uh, Isaac Okoro, not a great defensive rebounder. Like Kevin Love actually still has a use on this team to like really kind of lock down the defensive glass in a real way. Um, I don't, I don't even know like what the Kevin Love experience in Cleveland looks like anymore. Like I, I just don't, uh, I'll be interested to see how much he plays, doesn't play. I, I just don't have an answer there. Um, I would imagine their starters are probably Garland and Sexton with like Isaac Okoro, Lowry Markinen, and Jared Allen, and they bring Evan Mobley off the bench to start. Um, bring Chitty Osman off. Bring maybe Kevin Love comes off the bench. I, I just don't. I, I don't love the way that that team has been shaped. I really like a lot of the individual pieces. I just don't like the way that they fit together. Um, in the case of Detroit, it's just a young team, right? Like there's, they're just rebuilding at the end of the day. There are just so many young 23 and under guys on this roster. I do like the way that this team is being built. Uh, they have the superstar that they needed in Cade Cunningham. He was just undeniably the number one overall guy. I don't understand why they even considered otherwise, but they're just going to win like 25 to 30 games and that's okay. I like their pieces though. Yeah, so do I. I mean, Long term, for sure. Isaiah Stewart is good. Yeah, everyone totally. Knows that everyone knows Sadiq Bay is good. If you follow the, if 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 you spent too much time watching the Pistons last year, you I should say you don't have to have spent too much time watching the Pistons last year to know that Sadiq Bay is good. But Isaiah Stewart is a freaking monster. Yeah, I that was guy to, is a beast. Yeah, I was talking to my friend George who like has a bunch of like fantasy teams and he was telling me that like Isaiah Stewart's being drafted as like a top 60 player in fantasy basketball this year and I was like you know what like that doesn't seem too crazy to me I guess uh just he's not going to be like a top 60 overall player in the NBA but he's definitely going to produce like he's going to average you know like 14 and 9 this year and block a shot and play reasonable space defense and maybe make some threes like I I really yeah I'm a big fan of Isaiah Stewart I think that this team is being built in the image of a Troy Weaver and B like their superstar Cade Cunningham Um, all of Stewart Sadiq Bay Cade Cunningham like these guys are all just really high-level workers and high-level like people uh like when I look at the Cavaliers, like I don't know what their identity is as an organization. Like with Detroit, I feel like their identity is just going to be playing well on both ends of the court, hopefully at some point, but working and just making good decisions and being tough to play against. Yeah, to me, I feel like so much of Detroit's, so much of how I feel about Detroit's future is going to hinge on what Killian Hayes does this year. Because I, 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 he struggled like crazy, especially at the start of last year. He just was so unbelievably inefficient at the start of last year. And he, and he was out for a while. He missed a lot of time. He never really caught a rhythm. And, and 
I think there are a lot of people that are out on him. I, I'm not out on him. I just am still kind of chalking up is I don't I don't know what he's going to be. He has these moments where he he'll make these these beautiful passes and and you can see the vision when he's in a pick and roll. You can you can see why he was he was a lottery pick. Uh, just being able to spray the ball to the perimeter when he's coming around ball screens and that kind of stuff. And and I I. I get it, but it just happened way too seldom last year, and the offense just the scoring just didn't come. And if he could put something together, and 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 really start to look like a player, then all of a sudden you have your guard combination with him and Cunningham. You have a legitimately good wing with Sadiq Bay. You have a legitimately good big with Isaiah Stewart, and like Jeremy Grant is a good player. That that yeah contract was destroyed when he signed it three years for sixty. Uh, it's like fine. It's fine. He's a he's a good Honestly, player. I think every team in the NBA would take that deal, like and be ecstatic with it right now. Yeah, he's he's a good two way. But his defense fell off playing in the role that he did last year, and I I definitely don't think the role that he was in last year is the ideal role for him. I know he wanted to score more and be a more focal point of an offense, but he's he's going to have to become a much better passer in order to be able to do that. Now, clearly, you yeah. talk about workers. He's a crazy worker, too. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, you're 100% right. Yeah. And and you can see that. Like, you can see the tangible. Ret- I covered him in Oklahoma City. I mean, I they used to talk about how they used to single him out as a guy like Jeremy Grant works crazy hard. And you can yeah. see the re- tangible returns on that work. I mean, he is so much better of a scorer than I ever came close to imagining that he would possibly be. Uh, so look, I'm not going to totally rule out the fact that he can become a better passer because look at how much better he is at so many different aspects of the game than he was when he was like in Philadelphia, where right. he wasn't even a good defender when he first came into the league because he just didn't know he had the tools. He just didn't know where to be. And then he became this this really, really, really helpful defender at the end of his time in OKC and in Denver, uh, and and obviously he added the scoring last, and, and, and he improved his jump shot. Then he added the off-the-dribble scoring last year in Detroit, so maybe the passing does get better. Uh, we just haven't seen the signs of it yet, but, but man, like that, that guy works unbelievably and is another just like really high-character guy who I'm like, you know what? When you, when you give him that contract, you're also betting on the personality and yep. uh you know may, maybe the passing does get a little bit better and and you can have him in in more of a role like that but if it doesn't that's where Killian Hayes's improvement and Kate Cunningham's addition that kind of stuff will will take a lot of burden off him and and he can maybe have play a larger role than he did in Denver but but uh you know maybe not have to handle the ball as much as he did a year ago yeah, I think I'm a little bit more worried about Hayes than you are. Um, we'll see. You know, he's still so young. Like, he's still, like, just turned 20 years old in July. Um, point guard position's really hard. I just worry about him, like, actually separating consistently and being able to make good decisions after separating without looking sped up. Um, yeah. It's funny, like looking at this team again compared to Cleveland, I think Cleveland is more talented than Detroit, but I think Detroit's just way harder to play against um, just because of their length and their like attention to detail and their defensive acumen on the wing and in the backcourt. Um, 
Cleveland, it's just a weird, weird deal. Like, I don't mean to just fucking bash Cleveland, I guess. They have a lot of talent and they might figure (laughs) it out, but it's just weird. And then finally, the last team here is Orlando. And we really just don't need to belabor Orlando. I'm excited to see all these young guys. Like, the the most fun lineups for me are going to be when they pair Jalen Suggs and RJ Hampton together uh with like guys like wendell carter and jonathan isaac and uh franz wagner like if that that five-man lineup i think has potential to be really really fun and other than that uh, they still have a lot of other young guys like they still have cole anthony markel fultz was taking real strides before he tore his acl last year Chuma Okiki looks like an, a very real NBA player at 23 years old already. So this is a fun team. It's just a very young team that is definitely rebuilding. And uh, I think that their decision in terms of coach kind of showed that because Jamal Mosley is considered a really good developmental coach. Cannot wait for Jonathan Isaac's return. Yeah, me either. I, I agree with I that. I hope he's the same he was turning into a really special defender when he got hurt, like a really special defender. Like, yeah, like a, like a an no all, doubt first team, all defense defender. Yep. Yes. Yes. Like a, like a, wow, this guy really could win defensive player of the year. One day caliber defender. Uh, yep. I, I, I was, if he hadn't gotten hurt a couple of years ago, I mean, he was, he was making a real good case to end up on my all, de- all defensive team. Like, I I have to imagine he would have been on there. Uh, I don't have the numbers called up right now, but the steal and block combination with him is extraordinary. The versatility is extraordinary. A guy who can defend the rim like that and defend away from the rim like that is just, it is unbelievably rare. He has the tools and he uses them. uh, And and the fact he can guard multiple positions and, and he's... I just I hope that he's able to move like he was before the injury. He's young enough, and we've seen guys come back from these serious leg injuries. Uh, you yeah. know the the KDs of the world, and and hopefully you know Clay is able to do the same as well. I just I hope he ends up coming back and defending like he was before because that that's a huge part of their future. And and man, like he was looking like he was on the way to becoming one of the league's special defenders. Yeah, totally agree. Let's uh, take a quick commercial break and then we'll dive into this next uh, three-team group. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN 
I changed my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back here with Fred Katz. We're going to dive into the play-in contenders now. Uh, this is your... The teams I've set here are the Toronto Raptors, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Washington Wizards. So, I think that Toronto fans will be disappointed that I've tossed Toronto into this group. But there are two significant reasons why I have them kind of beneath this other group that I'm calling like the playoff contender group. The first one is that they just still don't have an answer at the center position. I don't think, uh, I think Chris Boucher is a really good, like 20 to 25 minute per game guy. I think Ken Birch is another like, it's okay backup, but this is probably still the worst center, uh, situation in the league. Wouldn't you agree, Fred? It could be. It yeah. could be. The problem is Boucher's a really nice player, but he's got a there's a reason he comes off the bench. Like he's got to play in sp- in the right spots. So yeah. Yeah, I mean that might be right. And then second, it seems like Pascal Siakam is going to miss a pretty decent amount of the first portion of this season. So his recover his um surgery to repair what i believe was a torn labrum in his shoulder was expected to last around five months when it happened in june so let's say he's back you know at the beginning of december he's probably missing 20 games at that point and that's your best player that's missing a quarter of the season i feel like that is pretty substantial downgrade in terms of just wins and losses like that could be the difference in them winning or losing four games five games in that 20 game sample so i like what they have when they're at full strength uh like being able to go van vliet gary trent um 
OG Ananobi, Siakam, and then whatever you want to do at the center position, you could play you know Scotty Barnes with that group. You could play small with Malachi Flynn. Like I, I like their versatility still. I just don't know that without Siakam, especially early in the season, that that's going to bode well for where they are right now. I'm worried about their creation on offense. Mm. Like I'm worried about where the points come from. OG gets better every year. Van Vliet gets better every year. Losing Lowry is really big for them. He was he had a really good year creating offense for them last year. Really, yeah. really, really, really good year creating offense for them last year. And with Siakam missing some time, and not just missing time, but he's going to be coming back from a legitimate injury. Yep. Uh, you know, he, he, he struggled from an efficiency standpoint last year when he got, I think, attacked more by opposing defenses. I, I'm worried about where the offense is going to come from. That, that said, the, my number one reason for optimism with this team is because, well, I should say t- number, top two reasons for optimism with this team are, number one, living in a hotel in Tampa on a whim for an entire season is no way to play an NBA season like they had to last year. Totally. Uh, and and having to do that for a full season when you don't know how to do it is just extraordinarily difficult on your life and shows professional returns. And I don't think that's something that gets talked about in relation to the Raptors enough. And secondly, you know, you talk about how the center rotation might be the worst in the league. I mean, the other extreme with them is they're the team that, that probably underperformed their expected winning percentage more than any other team in the league. Uh, you, their, their net rating had them at around a 500 team last year, and they were well below in part because yeah. they tanked the end of the season to try to get a draft pick. They weren't trying to make the playoffs like some other teams. But also in part because that was just a thing all year. They they lost a lot of heartbreakers. They lost a lot of close games, and they ended up underperforming their winning percentage for like the, their expected winning percentage for like the entire season. And that kind of stuff tends to even out. You can see a bounce back after that stuff. So I I think they'll be better than they were last year, in spite of all of that other stuff. But I I think you have them tiered about correctly. Like I I, I think they're yeah. probably right around the bottom of the play-in tournament. Yeah, so their expected win-loss last year based off of their net rating was about 35 and 37, according to Basketball Reference. Um, They went 27 and 45. So that was a significant eight-win difference in terms of expectation. But you know what? Like You lose Kyle Lowry, who was like a steady hand late in games. You or replacing his minutes with younger guys that just might not have that experience. I I don't know that it's just not the same team in a lot of ways. Like you, you would expect this team maybe to struggle in late games this coming year, if only because they don't really have a go-to guy. Like I still don't really trust Siakam late in games. I certainly don't trust Ananobi late in games. Um, I do trust Van Vliet, but like, and I trust. Dragic I trust Fred. Too. Yeah, like I, I trust Fred as like a third option in crunch time. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. I mean that's that's part of where I say they. 
I just struggle to see where the offensive creation yeah. is is going to come from. A guy, I mean, the cliche is when you need a bucket, who's going to get it? But that's not even what I mean. I just mean on a consistent 48-minute basis. I think this team is going to have a lot of lulls where yep. they're just not, they're going to have long scoring droughts. They're going to have a lot of lulls where I think they're going to struggle to score, especially when Van Vliet or Dragic is off the floor. Like that, that is going to be tough for them. There's just, there's not, there's not a lot of creation there. Yep. Let's move to the Hornets real quick. Uh, this is just another rebuilding team that I think is just like a little bit ahead of the other rebuilding teams below. Uh, they were very competitive and frisky last year. Obviously, they were 33 and 39. They made the play-in tournament. Um, I don't really buy into this team's defense. And to be honest, like I don't really think they got better on that end this year. Um, another team that has a pretty rough center position uh, in now Mason Plumley kind of carrying the load. I would not expect much from Kai Jones this year, especially on the defensive end. Um, you know, Vernon Carey, not a great defender. You know, maybe Nick Richards is something is, I don't even know if Nick Richards is like still on that roster even, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see what Charlotte can cobble together defensively because this is a really fun, free flowing offense when it's rolling uh, I know that relatively their defensive rating was a little bit better than their offensive rating but it felt like late in games last year they just didn't really have recourse to slow anyone down and look they're probably going to play a lot of like PJ Washington at the four and then maybe late in games you go PJ Washington at the five with Miles Bridges at the four I think that like those lineups where you're switching everything they're really great in theory but it's hard to win in actuality without like really any semblance of rim protection inside all fair not a lot of rim protection. I told you before the podcast there was one tearing of yours I disagreed with. This is the one. I'm I'm high on the Hornets. Man, I, I, I think there's that, that's fascinating. <laughs> I I'm just I am preparing for LaMelo Ball to show up and look fantastic. I think and that's probably it, what happens for what it's worth. I, I think he's gonna be great. Me too. And if that's the case then I think this team looks really different. Uh, Miles Bridges was spectacular down the stretch of last year. Great. I thought he started he to look great. like a different player. Yep. He was scoring over 20 a game for the last month and a half of the season, shooting over 40% on like seven threes a game. Uh, he, I thought he looked like he looked like a different player. It didn't look like a hot streak. It looked like, oh man, Miles Bridges is changing right now. Yep. I think they're capable of putting together, in spite of the lack of rim protection, I think they're capable of putting together really switchy lineups, you know, with Rozier and with Bridges and with Oubre, who is a very overzealous defender, but can play in a switchy defense. Uh, I I just, I think (laughs) they have the capability of of putting together uh, really difficult to guard lineups. Hayward is coming off of, an excellent year. There's a lot of creation there 
with you know I talked about that being a problem for Toronto. It's not here. Ball is going to create for others and for himself. Rozier had a fantastic year last year. I mean, one of the incredible improvements in the NBA last season was Terry Rozier on two pointers. My goodness, that dude couldn't hit mid-range. He couldn't finish around the rim. And he improved his two-point percentage in a single season, like 10 or 12 percentage points. Just a thing that doesn't happen. And it's possible that some of that was flukish because that is such an outrageous improvement. Uh, But he did it. And even if that comes back down to earth a little bit this year, you know, if if Terry Rozier is able to score inside the three-point line at a consistent basis, he's a totally different player than the type of guy that we saw in Boston at the beginning in Charlotte. Uh, I just, I, I think there's actually a lot of offense here. Uh, I think P.J. Washington has developed quite well. Mason Plumley is another guy, a really good passer, really one of the best passing bigs in the league. They They're going to get good shots, this team. I, I really think they will. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the offensive side of the floor. I think they're going to be really good on that side. I do worry about the Rozier two-point percentage reversion in the same way that I worry about the Miles Bridges like shooting renaissance. Like Miles Bridges, outside of that 20-game sample at the end of last year where he shot 44% on seven three-point attempts per game, he's like a career 33.2% three-point shooter. Um, on like three and a half or like between three and a half and four attempts per game. So is it a genuine skill improvement or was it a hot streak? I don't have an answer to that. If it's a hot, if it's a genuine skill improvement, he's a different player. Like he's a freak if that's true. And he's the perfect running mate then for LaMelo ball at the four spot. If he is what he was late in the year, but man, I, I don't know. Like when you watch Miles Bridges shoot, do you think he's a 40% three point shooter? I mean, the hope for it is that the percentage went way up as the volume went way up, which is normally yeah. a pretty good sign. Uh, yeah, you know, when, in terms of confidence, when the yeah. percentage goes up as the volume stays the same or the volume goes down. I'm more prone to say, okay, well let's, let's see some more of this. Let's see if this is real. When when you double the amount of threes you're taking, and du- and come close to doubling the percentage that you're making in lockstep with that, that is extremely extremely difficult. Uh, so so no, I don't think he's a forty four percent three point shooter, but if he's yeah. a thirty eight percent three point shooter, with the way he's able to finish around the rim, him and ball and transition is just dynamite completely. Um, yep. And and he he has uh, again I, another guy with just tremendous defensive potential. I mean, a, a shot blocking wing; those are hard to find. I just I I'm big on Miles Bridges. I I really over that over those last twenty games of the year, I was like, wow, wow. If he's anything close to this, that is that's an excellent player. I I love Miles Bridges so much. I I just really like. I had him. I think at like eight on my pre-draft board back in 2018. Like I, I have loved miles bridges for so long. I, I just want to see a little, little bit more on the shooting sample before I'm like ready to say, Oh yes, he's a, you know, 16, six and three assist guy who can, you know, legit be a great 
running mate for LaMelo. Like, I, I think he's definitely a building block for them. Uh, if I was them, I would be trying to extend him right now, like quickly. Like, I, I would not want this. He has a chance to really blow up this year if the shooting is real. I, I would be trying to extend him now and just don't take that risk if I was Charlotte. Um, we'll see if that ends up being the case, right? Uh, he's if I remember correctly, represented by Clutch. So I, I don't know that they'll be super excited to do an extension uh, and not let him test his market value. But they're definitely going to score. I just wor- I really worry about where the defense comes from. I really worry about where the defense comes from because you're talking about a starting backcourt of LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier, both of whom aren't great on ball defenders. Um, Rozier's just small and LaMelo can get driven a little bit too often. LaMelo's a great off ball defender, but not an awesome on ball defender. Um, and you're talking about a team that doesn't have any rim protection behind them after those on ball defenders get beat. So I'm, I'm in on watching the Hornets. Like, I think they're going to be a great, viewing experience and i think i would bet oh, on them Eric again collins to, calling those games sam oh it's the best it's so the greatest play by a people talk about the greatest duos of all time and they talk about shaq and kobe and <laughs> and, and and bird and mikhail but you know what Lamelo and eric collins is the greatest paired nba duo ever a player that exciting with a play-by-play guy that excitable what's better it rules it rules so I just worry about where the defense comes from. I think they probably make the play-in tournament. I'm just like, okay, I need to see a little bit more from them. And the last team here is the Wizards. I mean, you covered the Wizards last year. I'll just like kind of seed the floor to you after this opening salvo. Uh, What worries me most about the Wizards is that this team played at a very high pace last year with Russell Westbrook and Russ, I think created a ton of offense for them in transition in part because they needed him to due to the lack of floor spacing and shooting. I don't think that that really changed overnight. They did bring in a couple of much better shooters and Contavious Caldwell Pope and Corey Kispert, who theoretically should be like either in the case of KCP fully in the rotation or Corey Kispert, like near the end of the actual rotation. Um, I still just don't know if I trust this team's floor spacing around Bradley Beal enough, especially given that they're probably going to play more half-court possessions this year. I think that's fair. I think the reason for optimism for them would be just their their quantity. In in a season, or I should say in a, in a season where there's a second consecutive offseason that's just ridiculously short. They lost a month off of this offseason. There was basically no offseason the previous year. You know, we talked so much this past season about there being so many injuries because of the short offseason. Well, this is a second one. And I have to imagine that teams are going to be banged up similarly to how they were last year. And if that's the case then I'll liken the Wizards to kind of what the Hawks were last year. Not because I think they're going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, but just that kind of the criticism of the Hawks going into last year was they have too many guys. They have 12 guys. How are these guys all going to play? There's just kind of a lot of quantity on that roster, not quite enough quality. And as all these other teams dealt with roster attrition, including the Hawks, by the way, 
they they kind of held up with having just all these extra guys who they could throw in and who were just NBA players. And the Wizards, because in part of the Russell Westbrook trade, which brought back a ton of players who were just NBA quality players, they have a bunch of those guys. Last year, they had like no forwards. Now they have a lot of forwards. They brought in Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's the, the best 3 and D guy they've had in years. Uh, they they bring back Howell Neto. They they have about twelve guys who you could throw on the floor as part of an NBA rotation. You'd be like, okay, that's rotation guy. Kyle Kuzma, that's rotation guy. KCP, rotation guy. That's fine. Spencer Dinwiddie. All all these guys are good, solid NBA players, and especially once Thomas Bryant comes back, um, you know that's. There's just a lot. There's going to be people who aren't actually in the rotation when everybody's healthy who you think, well, actually, probably won't be happy not being in the rotation. I'm worried about their defense. Part of the reason their defense got better in the second half of last year was because they basically had a rim protector on the floor all the time. And now with Len and Robin Lopez gone, that won't be the case. Gafford can defend the rim, but if he's capable of only playing, let's say, 24 minutes a game, now you've got half the game with either Harrell at the five, Bryant at the five, or you're playing small. So I'm worried about rim protection for them. Uh, I, I'm 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 worried about their point of attack defense as well. I think their schemes will be very different with Wes Unsell Jr. at the top there. Um, I think there will be more motion, more ball movement. I don't think Beal will be quite as ball dominant, or at least that's the goal to not make Beal quite as ball dominant. Uh, Not as many pull-up threes for Beal, I know, is something that they want to cut back on. Um, I I think they'll probably be in around the same spot they were last year, Right, 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 right around here. Let's take another quick commercial break, and we'll get to the playoff contenders. Okay, and we're back. We're this is the biggest group. This is I have this group listed as the Bulls, the Pacers, the Knicks, the Celtics, the Hawks, the Heat. Let's kind of rapid fire through this group because they're good teams, but there are some teams here that like I, I just don't know how interested I am in talking about them. Um, like the Pacers, for instance. Um, I think it's just hard to have a conversation about the Pacers. I almost put them in the tier below. I do think their talent level is higher than those other teams when they're all healthy, but it looks like TJ Warren's going to miss a pretty real portion of time here to start the year. Uh, His rehab is going slower, the team said, uh, than they were hoping. Miles Turner and Demonis Sponis are great. They can both play center. I don't know what the backup center position looks like for this group. Beyond those two, they do have Goga Batadze and Isaiah Jackson. But, I mean, those are two young guys that you don't always feel confident in. Like, Batadze hasn't gone and, like, stolen that backup center position by any stretch. Uh, Karis LeVert has obviously dealt with injuries. Malcolm Brogdon has dealt with injuries over the past. Uh, Again, I'm tentatively in on the talent level here, and there's plenty of reason to believe in there being regression upward because of 
the addition of Rick Carlisle, one of the you know five or so best coaches in the NBA, taking over from Nate Bjorkren, who seemed like a coach that everyone in Indiana hated by the end of the year. Uh, maybe they're just talented enough to be a legit playoff team. I, I think that's a real thing, but I'm not totally sold yet on the roster even looking like this at the end of the year. Like they, they just have so many missing, like moving parts on this roster. It feels like they could go the one way or the other. The is the coaching. They, they, they also had a lot of injuries last year. And, and some of those guys are generally injured players. Malcolm Brogdon gets hurt a lot. Uh, but the big thing for me is just, yeah, it's kind of what it comes down to for me. Like, so, so yeah. many of these guys just get hurt. Right, like it's it's a it's big health thing. For who them. they are, it's not like I feel but, bad for them. Right, which is but why they just, just kind of have a big. They have a big range. I mean, if Levert is healthy for the majority of the year, and Brogdon is healthy for the majority of the year, and Sabonis is Sabonis, and Turner's on the floor, and you know that's that's a team that's going to win forty five plus. You know, with Rick Carlisle coaching them, that's a team that's going to win forty five plus. But the big thing for me is the coaching. They had completely quit on Bjorkrim by the end of last year. I mean, if it wasn't obvious then, then it's obviously yep. obvious now. And they took, I'm not going to say the worst coach in the league, because I don't know who the worst coach in the league is. It was the worst coaching situation. Yeah. It was a team that was just completely catatonic when it came to addressing its head coach. And they brought in one of the best coaches you could possibly hire. Somebody who everybody in the league agrees is one of the best coaches in the league in Rick, in Rick Carlisle. I, I, I think that's an impossible upgrade to ignore when we talk about all of this. So I think they'll be better than they were last year. And, and, and they're a team also, this matters, they care about the regular season organizationally year to year. And and Carlisle's a coach who tends to care about the organization, about the regular season. So I have to imagine that that won't change uh, a, a, a during this change. They they tend to care about the the regular season, which gets you an extra two or three regular season wins. Uh, so so I think I think they're a play in team, but I think they're like a like a seven or eight play in team more than a nine or ten or or just on the outside. I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you on that. Uh, let's uh, let's go to. I don't know. We talked about the Knicks a lot to open the show. I don't know if we need to like belabor that point. Uh, the Bulls are a team that are that's very polarizing. It feels like for people. It, I just kind of keep coming back to the talent level with Chicago. I mean, they're going to be starting Lonzo Ball, Demar Derozan, Zach Levine across the front court with Nikola Vucevic and or across the backcourt with Vucevic in the frontcourt. They have the hopeful, like positive growth of Patrick Williams at the four They're, I think they look deeper than what they were last year in general. Like they bring in Alex Caruso who can take some pressure off Kobe white. I think that this team should be pretty good is where See, I'm at. We, you know, what's funny. Like, I, I think the two of us are, having a true beauty in the eye of the beholder moment with the two with the two CH teams with Chicago and Charlotte 
Because I look at Charlotte yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah, look yeah. at this talent. Look at how the offense fits. Look at all these passers. They're going to get good shots. And you're like, oh, my God, look at the defense. And you're looking at Chicago and you're like, look at the talent. Look at all these scores. Look at the depth. And I'm like, oh, my God, the defense. Oh, you're <laughs> you're so right on this. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, they're capable of putting together what I will say in your defense. They are capable of putting together their best defensive lineup is better than Charlotte's best defensive lineup because they can play ball and Caruso together at the top of the defense. And those guys are both very good at the top of the defense. Alex Caruso is actually an excellent defender. And those guys and, and ball is very good. And and those guys at the top of your defense are really going to cut off. They're just going to cut off penetration. They're They're really, really, really good defenders. And that's going to help you. But how often are you going to play Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball together? It's going to happen some. It's going to happen some every game. But it's not like they're going to be on the floor together for the majority of the minutes or, or, or probably for your most used lineups because you got to play Levine and you got to play DeRozan and you think you'd got to play Patrick Williams. Uh, so, so I'm thinking in crutch time, in crunch time, one of Caruso or Ball, probably Caruso, is, is not really going to be on the floor the majority of the time. Uh, I just... I think Levine and DeRozan as your wings with Vucevic behind them is has has a high, high, high possibility of getting absolutely pulverized. And I think the Bulls will be competitive. I actually like the basketball fit for DeRozan. They give him a lot of money and they give him a first rounder for him. And I would not advise doing that. But it's done. It's over. He's on the Bulls from an actual basketball fit. You know, Levine, I think Levine is better when he gets more time off the ball than he did last year. He's a much better distributor than he used to be, but he's still very, very turnover prone. And if you give him the ball in these like late clock pressure situations, he's become such a great scorer and such a great shooter that he's able to get off a good shot, but he's very turnover prone in those moments. I think DeRozan being there gives him a little bit more of a release valve. I also think it's a good... DeRozan has gotten a lot better playing the three and the four in San Antonio. He played a lot of four last year in San Antonio with a lot of other guards. Yeah. And if he, when he's able to play the three and the four and kind of be that release valve, he's become a much better passer too. He's He had one of the highest free throw rates of his career last year, if not the highest. Uh, he's he's figured out ways to to get efficient offense and, and, and kind of improve in while still playing like DeMar DeRozan. I think they could be really good offensively. I'm just worried about the defense. I think that's going to prevent them from doing anything over the top. Yeah, like I think their closing lineup is probably going to be Caruso, Lonzo, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Vucevic. Like I think they just play they play DeRozan down the lineup and they bring Caruso on for defense. Uh, unless Pat Williams just like blows up, which you know what, like Pat Williams has real upside, like that could happen. But I think the thing that gets underrated about this team is that they're going to have really, really good ball movement. You know, Zach Levine gets pigeonholed as this ball-dominant player. DeMar DeRozan gets pigeonholed as this ball-dominant player. Both of those guys have really, really improved as distributors. Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso are really unselfish guys who don't like to pound the ball into the ground. They like to move it along. Uh, Nikola Vucevic is a really good passing five man. If Billy Donovan wants to create a scheme 
that is built off of passing, he has the pieces here to do so. I'm going to be interested to see what it looks like uh, in that respect, because if he does that, I think this team could actually be really, really fun to watch. The reason that I think they're just a level ahead of Charlotte is just like, they're the veteran version of Charlotte, right? Like they're, they're just where Charlotte hopes to be in a couple of years with this roster, hopefully with like a real center. Like they have, Vucevic, who is like drastically better than anything Charlotte has at center. They have um, real vets in the backcourt now, like Lonzo Ball is a vet. Alex Caruso is like 27 years old. Um, Zach Levine is 26 years old. DeMar DeRozan's 32. Like they, they have actual experience, and I think that that's the big key for them. Um, the defense, you're 100% right. The defense is a concern, and I, I, I'm like significantly worried about them. The Celtics, I think, like fit into the back end of this like mini tier here in this uh, grouping because I love Jason Tatum. I love Jalen Brown. I don't know where the offense comes from the backcourt because I'm not a huge Dennis Schroeder guy. Uh, I mean, maybe just having Al Horford back really helps the ball movement a lot more. I think that that's like the main hope here, like splitting the center position between Horford and Robert Williams kind of thing. I think this is a top five defense. Oh, wow. No, I, I think don't. it's a top five. That's defense. very interesting. Yeah. I think they can get there. Uh, so mm-hmm. they, they, they were, they were 15th the last year. That. They had, they had a really, yeah. That's a lot. They they have a lot of young guys to Maybe be a top I'm five defense. Maybe I'm too much on Robert Williams. I like Robert Williams. I think he had a really good year last year. Uh, at the very least, they're capable of pinning together some some of the best defensive lineups in the league with Smart Williams. I think they could end up playing Horford at the four, Jalen Brown and 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 Jason Tatum out there together. I think they can play a lot of different ways defensively. I think they're capable of going they're going they're capable of going small, they're capable of going big, and they're capable of going somewhere in between with playing like a Horford at center sort of deal. Uh, I just I I like their defensive versatility. Schroeder has 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 good defense in him when he feels like playing it. Josh Richardson has Josh where are we at on Josh Richardson? Because he did not the last two years really Philly Josh Richardson and Dallas Josh Richardson uh, were just kind of disappointing fall-offs from what we expect from him based on how he played in Miami. And I'm just, I'm not out on Josh Richardson. I'm I'm just not out on him. I think there is there is a player I who think can create his own shot and and defend like, like a maniac on the ball in there. Yeah, I think that he's definitely a good defender. I don't know how confident I feel with him creating his own shot. Um, and I definitely don't know how confident I feel with him shooting. Like, I think he's a really good, like seventh man and I'm pretty sure that's the role he'll be played in, in Boston. Like he might be their sixth man, but it'll be something like that. Here's the thing that worries me. How many games do you think Robert Williams has played more than 28 minutes in a game? Oh man. In his career, he's played 113 games. It's got to be a low number. Wow. One. The number is one. Um, he's just really struggled to stay on the floor and to be able to like do it for a long period of time. Uh, 
he won't necessarily be asked to play more minutes than that because they have Al Horford and they can play smaller. But if you're pinning your hopes on their defense being like you're high on Robert Williams and you're high on Josh Richardson and obviously Jason uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown are positive defenders. Marcus Smart's obviously an elite defender. Like they have a lot of good defenders, but if your centerpiece inside might not be able to play 30 minutes a night, I don't know what that looks like, I guess. Um, Cause I don't know if Al Horford is really like a, a defensive anchor That's fair. anymore. And if, and if he's not there, then that probably means more minutes for Canner as well. Yeah. Um, it's just an in- it's an interesting team. Like I, I'm hoping Grant Williams takes a leap. I'm hoping that Aaron Naismith takes a leap. Uh, I think that they're going to need Peyton Pritchard to be what he was at Summer League because they just might not get enough offense from the backcourt otherwise. But I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird group. It feels a bit strange to like it feels like a weird grouping of players around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown unless you like like Robert Williams really is the guy that kind of brings the whole thing together in a real way and I'm just like a little bit worried about how many minutes he can actually play that's fair that's fair there last year was weird too I mean I I I think they're better you know, when you try to predict on next season, you kind of work off whatever the previous season's number was. And they were 500 last year, and it was such a strange season for them. Their defense was kind of confounding the entire year. You mentioned they were middle of the pack and points allowed per possession. After they were top five the year before that, they had such a fall off. They had, they had a, a major COVID problem. I mean, Jason Tatum was dealing with long COVID for a significant portion of last year. That's and, a good point. and then when he got right at the end of the year, my goodness, he just went on this ridiculous tear. And it was like, wow, Jason Tatum has finally shown up. But the reality is, if you follow the situation closely, Tatum was dealing with effects of COVID for uh, for weeks yeah. throughout the season. It was it, it, he was really, really struggling uh, and and just having the real Jason Tatum for a full year, having Jalen Brown next to him. uh and and I think I I think that defense is even with different personnel is going to go back to a similar spot to where it was before for the reasons I stated before. I think that's going to be enough to carry them throughout the regular season to kind of middle of the Eastern Conference playoff race territory, four five something in there. I, I think they'll be somewhere around there. But there, there's not enough shooting with the guards. I mean, it's just like especially when they when they had Chris Dunn on the roster. Before they traded Dunn, I was like, man, just like Schroeder, Smart, Richardson, Chris Dunn, like, oh my goodness, like they just have all these dudes can get stops and none of them can make threes. It was a ridiculous conglomeration of guards. Uh, so, so that's that's going to be the thing that will that will I anticipate will be the biggest struggle going into the year, just the lack of shooting there. The Hawks are a team that I really considered. Like, I wanted to put the Hawks in, like, the title contenders tier. I really wanted to. I couldn't quite get there. But this is a team that went 27 and 11 in their last 38 games of the uh, 2021 season. They 
went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I think this team's just real in a lot of different ways. I also just think that they're like internal development one year away from being like a legit NBA title contender. Yeah, big thing for them is when they go on that run last year, they did it without DeAndre Hunter, who was like having a, a hell of a of a season. I mean, he looked like a different player than he did during his rookie year before he went down last year. And if you have a guy who can go two ways like DeAndre Hunter and you add him to the mix, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. The, the question for me is if personnel moves come because – this team is good. It's deep as hell. They can put out all different kinds of lineups, but they're going to have to pay a lot of these guys really soon. I mean, Herter is up after this year, and Reddish is going to be up, and Hunter is going to be up after that. And I just I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But if they get an offer... You can't pay everyone. They've already paid John Collins. They've already paid Capella. They've already paid Trey Young. Bogdanovich makes, what, 18 a year? Like, they, Gallinari's on a large number. I'm just, if they get an offer for one of the young guys or for Gallinari or for Bogdanovich, I just, I wonder how they respond to that depending on how their season is going. Uh, and and depending on what point in the year they're they're fielding that offer, I I just I feel like within the next calendar year there will be at least one significant change to this roster. I don't know what it's going to be or how it's going to affect the roster or when it's going to come. And I I think it's a very interesting Hawks storyline because they just have a lot of guys. But I'm I'm pretty much with you. I would not put them in the contenders category at all. I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn are too good. But I I think I think this is a fifty one team. Yeah. So here here's the thing about Atlanta. I think they're like the sleeping giant for a superstar trade. Like Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, if those guys like that level guy ever comes available, like nobody ever talks about Atlanta being the team to get them. But they have the most pieces to go get one of those guys. Because yeah, well, they can put together the quantity offer. So I think, I've well, like if they can put together the quality offer too. Because if you go like Bogdan Bogdanovich for the salary, and then Herder and DeAndre Hunter or something like that, like that's that is a very real offer for one of those guys. I don't think they're trying to trade Hunter in a deal like that for what it's worth. I, no, no, no. Look, I don't think they're trying to. They're trying to trade anyone, so I, I shouldn't like say you know they're they're looking to make a superstar move. I don't know that they are. I'm just saying that this team gets super expensive with the quantity of guys that they have. Their move, I think, is not like a move Kevin Herter for two first round picks move like out into the future. I think that you consolidate and you move two or three of these younger players for like a superstar to put next to Trey Young to put next to maybe it's DeAndre Hunter is the guy you want to keep um, put next to John Collins put next to Clint Capella and go like to me that that's what this team is crying out for um, to move into that next rung if they can't keep all of their young guys which I agree with you I think it's going to be really hard to do that with just how expensive this team is going to get 
Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think, look, I've, I have reported a lot about the market for Bradley Beal, which doesn't exist right now because Bradley Beal has not asked out. Uh, but just what the market might be and canvassing around about who might be interested. And I think the Hawks, I mean, there are a lot of teams that would be interested in Beal, but I, I think the Hawks would be one of the four or five most likely realistic teams to be able to go out and get him. Yeah. I think they could call him up and say, you want a lot of good stuff? We can give it to you. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that is something that's definitely on the table but something very specific has to go through. And unfortunately, I don't think they're a Damian Lillard team because that doesn't really make sense with Trey Young. It'd be fun as hell to watch, though, wouldn't it? Oh, my God. It'd be great for us, but I don't know <laughs> if it would be as great for them. Two just absolute, like, cold murderers at the end of games. Like, please just give me that. I, I need it. I kind of <laughs> need to see it. Uh, okay, the Miami Heat's the last team in this group. The Heat are... Uh, I don't know what to expect in the regular season, but I think they're going to be a really tough out in the playoffs with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Kyle Lowry. They're so shallow. Yeah. That's why I couldn't quite move them into that next group. I I think they're going to be a really tough out specifically for Milwaukee. Like I think the way that they match up with Milwaukee is going to make that series very difficult again, but I'm with you. I think we're in for another year. I, I feel like it's becoming an annual tradition now, the Jimmy Butler on-off numbers. And I feel like we're in for another year of, man, just when Jimmy Butler's off the floor, they just don't score. I don't know, because they, they can like, stagger Kyle Lowry now, which might help them with that. True. They could stagger. They could stagger. But it's tough. It's going to be really tough. Uh, they need a leap from Tyler Hero. If they get a leap from Tyler Hero, yep. then this roster looks very different to me. Now, all of a sudden, they have that scoring, and you're right. They can stagger Lowry. Uh, you know, Bam is an excellent, excellent facilitating center, but it's it's just very difficult to run your offense through the high post and still play elite offense, Yep. no matter how good that guy who you're running it through is. Yep. Uh, so if if they have that scoring punch off the bench from Hero... Uh, and you're right, and Lowry ends up playing with the second unit or something like that. Now now you have something, but there are so many unknowns on the roster that it makes me just, I guess skeptical is the best way to put it. I'm just a little uncertain about exactly what the ceiling is. I do think that a lineup that includes Lowry, Butler, P.J. Tucker, and Bam Adebayo has a chance to be the best defensive lineup in the NBA. I mean, that's that's a real possibility. I would bet that this team is like a top seven or so defensive team. Yeah, pretty pretty easily. Yeah, it could be better than that. Yeah, it could vary. Yeah, that's like a conservative bet, but yeah, I think they could be better than that. Kind of tough to like move from them up to like the title contenders because I have the 76ers in that group. Uh, the reason I have the 76ers in that group is they're either going to convince Ben Simmons to come back, or I think they're going to move him by the deadline and they're going to get stuff for him at the deadline. I almost don't even know that it's worth 
again, like diving deep into the 76ers. I've done a whole podcast recently on Ben Simmons. I think this team is a real contender whenever they figure out what they're doing because they're either going to have Ben or they're not going to have Ben and they're going to have other stuff. I don't think that like, look, Daryl will make this very, um, very complicated for Ben, I think. And Ben will make it very complicated for Daryl and it's going to be a staring contest for a while, but at some point I think there is going to be a move. Um, I just don't know what this team looks like after there's a move. So I don't know how much to belabor the point beyond just saying they have Joel Embiid. They have like Danny Green, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris. Um, Tyrese Maxey, I think is going to take a leap. Shake Milton is like semi good. Matisse Thibel obviously unbelievable defensively. Um, but they have Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid is probably the second best player in the Eastern conference behind, uh, Kevin Durant, or no, the third best behind Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And just because of that, they're going to contend as soon as they get whatever they get for Ben. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on the Simmons trade. Yeah. So, like, let's just not even dive deep into them. It, It just... Like I said, if you want my thoughts on like Ben Simmons and that whole thing, I literally just recorded a podcast. I think it's like the third most recent podcast, maybe the fourth most recent podcast. You can go there. Um, it, it's just hard to talk about the Sixers until we know uh, what's going to happen with them in this respect, at least. Uh, and I'll be doing win total over-unders next week with Robbie Calland. So we will talk about like how to project them in the regular season going forward but for this it's just not worth it um let's go to milwaukee i will say sam go ahead. if if cork Maz looks anything like he did in that workout video watch out eastern conference just just the absolute best the absolute best workout video that thing is score it's scored by like the dollars like soundtrack from ennio morricone like um fucking unbelievable Furk on Korkmaz give give Furk on Korkmaz an Oscar that's where I'm at uh let's go to the let's go to the Bucks the Bucks I think will be every bit as good as they were last year they have Drew Holiday still they have Chris Middleton still and they have Giannis Antetokounmpo who is an alien who is like never going to slow down do I think that they have a chance to regress a little bit just by nature of these last couple seasons being incredibly grueling, plus Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton then playing the Olympics? Yeah, I do. But they're going to be right there at the end, which is kind of the only way to explain this. Yeah, they're they're my Eastern Conference Finals losers. They're, they're my Eastern Conference runner-up uh, just because... I'm assuming Brooklyn will be healthy. You know, something we haven't discussed as much, by the way, is we're talking about this like the pandemic is over, and there's still so much variability, especially now with with teams coming back and and guys in, in Golden State and New York, they have to be vaccinated in order to participate in team activities, which includes practices and playing in things like home games and all of that. And, and that that's something that, depending on how it goes, and we don't know, I mean, we'll, we'll have a better idea once media day comes around who's vaccinated and who's not. But 
vaccination status with players is something that could legitimately swing games if yep. uh, if guys are unable to play. I mean, it's not just you're unable to play because you're unvaccinated. If you're in certain, no matter where you're playing, if you're unvaccinated, if you come in close contact with somebody who has COVID, you're out for seven days. So, uh, whereas if you are vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine for those seven days. So there, there are, those are going to be factors once again this year too, which are absolutely impossible for us to predict on this podcast, but just take that as a little caveat, a little caveat to the side. Uh, that said, I, I, Milwaukee's great. They're defending champs and they, they're running it back and they should be running it back. And they're running it back with like a little bit more depth than last year. You remember, yeah, of Hill. course. Well, like more than anything, they're getting Dante back. Like they won the title last year without Dante DiVincenzo. And he's a genuine starter in the NBA. George Hill is a legit backup guard in the NBA at this point. Um, Shimmy Ojale gives them a little bit more defensive depth in the front court. Grayson Allen, I think, is like a genuine NBA player. Like, I think he's actually going to really help this team uh, as like their he seventh had a really man. good year last year. Yeah, like that was a really good get for them. I understand why Memphis didn't want to like lock itself into having to pay him necessarily, but he averaged 11 points a game, uh, three rebounds, two assists on 39% from three and 87% from the line. He's actually a really valuable offensive player now. You know, you keep Bobby Portis at that bargain basement deal. Like, this team's going to be even deeper than it was last year. And that should worry uh, opposing teams, I think. They, they probably do, unless Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are just completely burn out, they probably do win more regular season games, or at least like a higher percentage of regular season games than they won last year. Yeah, I mean, they were... They were down during the regular season last year. They were very experimental during the regular season last year. I mean, they were they were resting guys. They they took the regular season not basically as a way to experiment with different defenses throughout the year, which clearly helped them come the postseason, by the way. A very good way to spend the regular season when you know you're going to be really good. Yep. Uh, and so now just them being more comfortable in that kind of stuff and more comfortable in those schemes when they, they changed around the way that they were – they were playing defense, switching more and switching differently when they did switch. I mean, that that's going to help them, too. Yeah. Finally, let's go to the Brooklyn Nets. I, I mean, look, this is just like by far the most talented team in the East. They have the best player on planet Earth, in my opinion, in Kevin Durant. Uh, I'm sorry, Giannis. Uh, I still think KD holds that title. Uh James Harden is still a top 10 player. Kyrie Irving is a, you know, unbelievable scoring point guard who like over the last two years, I think it's gone kind of underrated how efficient he's been in those 74 games that he's played. Like last year, Kyrie Irving went 50, 40, 92 and averaged 27 a game in 54 games played. Uh, this was probably his best season. Wouldn't you say like last year was probably Kyrie's best season. He carried yeah. Brooklyn through large swaths of that regular season. He missed 20 games. I still threw him on all NBA. Yeah. Like Kyrie was phenomenal last year. He was so good. And 
I'm going to be interested to see what it looks like when all three of those guys play consistently. I, I think that they're going to play phenomenally together because all of them can shoot and all of them can shoot off the catch and all of them can shoot off of the pull up. They are surrounded by Joe Harris, who is a phenomenal shooter. They're going to have Patty Mills, who is a phenomenal shooter. Um, there's just no... They went out and got Paul Millsap, who is like the perfect guy for them. They uh, re-signed LaMarcus Aldridge, who if he has anything left um, after sitting out like the back portion of last year and retiring, this team is so loaded and I'm so excited to watch them. Blake Griffin as well, who was great in the playoffs last year. I I am, this is the team that I think is by far the one I'm most excited to watch. And I think they're by far the best team in the league. You know, it's amazing because so many of these super teams that we see over the years are three superstars and a bunch of bench guys. You know, yeah. it's LeBron, Wade, and Botch and Bosch. And then you go down, and it's like maybe there's a Shane Battier there. And then it's not too quick until you get to the Joel Anthony's of the world, yeah. right? They, they have Mike Miller on those teams as well. Yeah, who, sure. Mike Miller. Yeah. Mike Miller's there. There's a Mike Miller. Uh, this team is so unbelievably deep. Yeah. There are so many good players. Even their their end of bench guys slash end of rotation guys are guys. I'm like, Nicholas Claxton's a good NBA player. Yeah. He is bouncy as all hell. He's good around the rim. He is a really quality energy big. You know, there are a lot of those types of guys, those, those, you know, six, 10 to seven foot guys who just jump out of the rim, can block a shot and can throw down lobs. But like, it's nice to be able to have one of those. It's just like, yeah, yeah. He's just at the end of the bench. He's there. Yeah, he'll get thrown around by a big center, but he's legitimately helpful. But he's like, he, good. He can and also like switch defensively too, because he's really yes. mobile. <laughs> and he's just in a crowd of Aldridge, Millsap, Griffin. I mean, it, even even uh, I don't know. I've I've always liked Javon Carter. Yeah, He's such a feisty on ball defender. I've 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 always kind of had a thing for Javon Carter's defense. I I love watching him guard point guards. Is really really fun. And and you look at the depth on this team. Bringing in Patty Mills, I thought was a great move. He's still a really really quality backup point guard and. If you look, it's like the reason that San Antonio has even remained a semblance of competitive over the last three or four years is because their bench lineups destroy other teams. And Patty Mills is a big part of that. He just kills reserves when he goes up against them. Bruce Brown, we've seen how helpful he can be even in a playoff format. He had some huge moments for them during the playoffs last year. I mean, you know, we know about Durant and with Harden and, and Irving, but even Joe Harris, but the, the role players on this team are are so good. It's so deep. They're going to be able to withstand injuries during the regular season. And if they're healthy in the postseason, they'll, they'll win it. I think that's 100% right. Like, uh, they're going to be so good. They If they stay healthy and we get, like, 50 games where all three of those guys play together, they're going to be amazing. And I could not be more excited to watch it. Fred... Let's call it there, man. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Well, you can check me out on The Athletic. Uh, I, As of the record, this recording, I'm yet to write 
a story about the Knicks because I just started that job yesterday. Uh, but uh, I, I'll, I'll have a story up pretty soon, I'm sure. So so just go check out on, on The Athletic on their Knicks page, or you can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz. And I'm sure I'll be posting on my social media and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, for now, that's about it. Please go out. Follow Fred. Please go out. Subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast. Hopefully, the sound quality has even improved more than what it has over the last few months. Because I'm working on it. Uh, Let me know if it sounds even better. Uh, Fred has helped me out by recording a local track. Now we're, 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 we're figuring it out here. It's uh, I've long been producing my own podcast and over the last year I've, you know, really tried to take a leap in terms of sound quality. So uh, I hope that everyone is uh, enjoying the show. We'll be back next week with Robbie Calland over unders folks. We're doing win total over unders. That's the, those are the two shows next week. We're taking a break from NBA, NBA draft content, And I could not be more excited to share that with you. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.